is Wednesday, May 11th here on the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast. Chuck Zada and Mark Schofield here. Yesterday we were talking with Dan Hatman from the Scouting Academy with regards to some of the changes that happen in the front office and coaching staffs on uh, NFL teams during this time of year, as well as some of the transitions from a player perspective. We do want to continue that today. We actually have a, this is the second part of a two-part interview that we have with Dan. And Dan, I kind of want to jump right into it. When we talk about some of the players that are on these rosters, and specifically talking about players in that 90 to 75 man roster bubble, kind of not really ready for the practice squad right away, but still brought into camp. Are those players that eventually at some point in the year are going to end up on a practice squad just because of the fact that teams are already familiar with them to some degree? 100%. So, I mean, if you just do a straight count off, you know, mathematically speaking, you've got your 53 that you're going to carry on your roster, and then you've got 10 practice squad players. So that brings you to 63 right there, assuming you sign all 10 of your own. You might grab one from another team, but generally speaking, you keep your own guys. So that brings you to 63 right there, assuming we don't have any injuries or any IR or um, PUP or NFI or any other lists, which you usually do. You've got three, maybe six, maybe seven if you're really unlucky. So that could bring you up close to 70 right there. Then during the course of the season, you could put a few guys on and off the roster, a few guys on and off um, practice squad, some guys that get stolen by their teams off the practice squad. You know, you get a few injuries, you're easily dipping past 75 into your 80-85 man roster uh, by the time you hit December. So in terms of looking at uh, the league as it stands today, are there certain teams that are better uh, at handling that extended roster out into the 80s than others? And do you have any examples of those? I think there's some teams that focus more on their practice squad being um, a place to develop certain types of players. Because the mechanism of the practice squad means those 10 individuals can go practice, right? They don't go dress for games. They're not a part of that roster. And you can view that a few different ways. You can just view them as practice fodder. Um, And so you might take a, a body type that you think fits. So we might decide that we have to have an offensive lineman on the practice squad from the standpoint of we just need a 6'5", 300-pounder out there to give us a look. You might decide that you want to keep you know XYZ body type out there for those kind of things. Or you can look at it and say, I want all 10 of those players to be guys that I'm trying to develop into future performers for the organization. And so you can, like I said, kind of go back and forth on that. There also is the idea of kind of stashing almost an 11th player. So you will see teams in New England notorious for this, for taking an individual off the practice squad on Monday after the game, um, putting them up on the roster for the week, and cutting a special teamer. Ventrone was a guy that they did this with for like an entire year. So they cut Ventrone for the week, but had him stay in town because he knew his assignments. He didn't need to practice. So they'd add 
guy from the practice squad up on the roster, add another guy from the street up on the practice squad, stash Ventron at home for a few couple days, and then reverse engineer the whole thing back. Ventron goes back to the active roster, cut the player, try to put him back on the squad, cut the practice squad player, tell him to stay in town, and you basically built an extra position. So instead of having a 10-man practice squad, you end up with an 11-man practice squad for the duration of the year. Um, you know, you, you have those models. You have a Green Bay where they designate time in the coaches' schedule each week to spend time with guys that are either not dressing off the active or on the practice squad to continue to develop them. And we've seen the results. Uh, if you look across their offensive line, you've seen players like a, a J.C. Treader that have come in and, and end up playing um, significant roles that have been uh, in that developmental cycle for them at one point or another. Dan, are there teams sort of in that vein that look almost at their schedule in terms of how they would build out the practice squad roster? For example, one that comes to mind is you're an NFC West team and you're going to be facing Russell Wilson twice a year at least, maybe more in the playoffs. Do you try to have somebody on the practice squad that can do what Russell Wilson does in and out of the pocket? I do think it's absolutely a legitimate consideration. We we see that like weeks if you're going to face a left-footed punter. Um, you'll see teams either bring one in on a tryout basis or bring one in on the um, on the practice squad from the nature of the ball literally comes off the foot with a different spin. It can give your returners a tough time, so you want to be prepared for that. So I like the idea of preparing for those eventualities inside the division. Um, I bet if we did a roster breakdown of the NFC West, we probably would not see all three of their division rivals scheduling a practice squad spot for stopping a Russell Wilson and maybe just taking, you know, a nickel defender or an extra running back or someone that played quarterback in high school and putting them back there for the idea of a look. Uh, you will do things of that nature. Use a, a, a position versatile player, someone who's maybe operated in that vein uh, back in their past to kind of bridge that gap. Dan, we've been talking a lot uh, kind of just in, in terms of theoretical terms for uh, most of uh, the show today. I want to dig into uh, some concrete things and just kind of get a sense of some of the things that you're actually looking at uh, heading into the next eight weeks leading into training camp. What are uh, some battles that are out there that you're potentially keeping an eye on as we head uh, towards July? So, you know, it's something I want to continue to, to study a little bit. It's on my, my to-do list for, uh, for a potential article here. But it is looking at units that are particularly deep. I had a, a conversation with Mike Reese there uh, covering the Patriots, talking about that interior offensive line. So 18, 24 months ago, you'd be sitting here and talking about that as being a position of weakness and something that needed to address prior to uh, the Shaq Mason, Trey Jackson draft and what have you. You know, and now we're sitting here at a place where not only do they have that draft class, you had Thune this year, you trade for Cooper out of Arizona, you know, you bring back guys that were injured before as being healthy, and you're looking at a, a place, if you carry nine offensive linemen like most teams do, um, they can't keep them all. So there's a potential trade there as they're, you know, very apt to do trade players. I look at New York Giants running back room right now. From the depth that they have there, you know, uh, we we knew the Andre Williams, you knew the Rashad Jennings, you know, they added a Bobby Rainey in the mix uh, late in the spring before the draft, and then you had a Paul Perkins to it, so they're going to be cutting, you know, a good player. A couple of years ago, oh Lord, it might be three years ago now, 
Seattle had, I think, 13 players that didn't make their 53 go on and make 53s for other teams around the league. Uh, and those are kind of interesting things to keep a peek on. Who's really building out a deep unit uh, where they're going to end up cutting a few interesting guys. And I think one of the teams that doesn't get enough credit for the depth of their roster is a Cincinnati. Um, it's one that is very hard to find holes in, one where they're able to take a best player available this year in a William Jackson at corner, even knowing that they've been sitting Darquez Denard, a former first-round pick for two years before sitting Drake Kirkpatrick for two years before that. So, uh, you know, that's an interesting roster to keep your eye on. Dan, you know I was going to circle the quarterbacks at some point, and we <laughs> saw three come off the board in the first round with Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, and Paxton Lynch. We've chatted about this some, but of those three guys, who do you think has the chance to make the biggest impact for their team in year one, but who might have the best impact or be in the best spot to be playing well in year three? So there, there's obviously the two conversations with all of this, which is what is their physical skill set? and what their history tells you about their capability. And then to your point, the situation they got placed in. So, you know, my mind went really close to the way the board felt. You know, I liked Goff um, ahead of Wentz and, and both ahead of Paxton Lynch. And to answer your first question, who has the year one impact? Well, if you take Philly face value, then Wentz is not participating much in year one. That's their hope. So unless this is a Blake Bortles four games in, you know, you're going to bench Chad Henney and, and elevate your first-round pick. Um, I'm going to go ahead and si set him to the side for now. Look at the two players I expect to be day-one starters, which is Jared Goff and Paxton Lynch. And I like the fit of Lynch in Kubiak's office, offense, the weapons, the offensive line, and the defense all there for that team to look better overall, which I would imagine lends itself to – him having a more productive year than what Goff is going to be working with on offense in, in Los Angeles. Now, getting to the, some of the quarterbacks that were drafted later, um, was there any quarterback taken sort of in the later rounds, maybe in day three, that you think landed at a great spot? And on the flip side, was there a guy that was taken later in this draft that you think that the, where he ended up is just not going to be good for his development? Well, I'm going to answer the, the latter half of that first, and, and that's Cardell Jones in Buffalo. Um, that one kind of broke my heart. I understand why they want to take a shot on him, but this year, 2015 in Ohio State, was tough for him based on that offense not being an ideal fit for his skill set. And so then you say, okay, well, we'll put him on the bench and we'll develop him. Oh, I, I get that, but... Development comes with reps at some point. At some point, it's not just looking at a whiteboard or watching others play the game. It's you playing the game and, and perfecting your craft. So then you're looking at practice reps. Well, I doubt Cardell Jones is going to win that job day one. So that means Tyrod Taylor is going to be your odds-on favorite, which means that Roman and the staff are going to build an offense that fits Tyrod Taylor's skill set, which is not the same as Cardell Jones. So when you go out to practice and you give that second stringer the 10 reps or so that they get during the course of the week running the number one offense in preparation for their future, Cardell's 10 reps a week over the course of this season are going to be running an offense that doesn't necessarily match up with his best attributes. And so I don't see the opportunity to develop in that situation as closely as if you took a Trevon Boykin going to Seattle, where, again, there were question marks about his ability to match up with an NFL offense and again, the, some of the things they've built in for Russell Wilson could lend themselves to be more advantageous for Trevon there 
in Seattle um, to benefit him moving forward. Final question for you, Dan. Would you ever take a kicker in the second round? <laughs> well, I mean, Janikowski's a first round. I mean, there's a big time <laughs> president here. Second rounder's at a discount. Where, I mean, where would you take me, Dan? Be honest. <laughs> so I walked into Philadelphia. No answer. <laughs> just ducking that one. No answer. I have also never seen film on you kicking. So, I mean, if you want to send it's, that we along. Get, we get it on the site. It's not pretty. You can get, you can get an evaluation going here. I'm not afraid <laughs> to pass that along. I would funk myself. <laughs> So we had Henry, we'd just taken him in the fourth round when I got to Philadelphia. And it was an interesting dilemma even then. A fourth rounder on a kicker, oh my God, can't you always find those guys as undrafted? Well, as much as, as I like the Dan Baileys and Justin Tuckers and, and plenty of other players that have come through undrafted ranks, I also don't always bank on the fact that undrafted free agency is going to always benefit your team. Yes, it has worked. But that you have to look at each individual year. So the question is, was there enough other players that you think are substantial um, kickers that you you know didn't have that high a grade on that you think you could have acquired later on? Now, I, I know you like the Craddock kid. Um, you know, we've got the Duke kids. We've got plenty of players that you had your eye on. So it becomes harder for me this year to see a second for sure. Um, so to answer your original question, no, I don't think I could ever spend a second rounder, a top 50 pick on a kicker. Um, as much as I do love special teams and they do score points, I do think we're coming closer to that fourth round, maybe 100, 150, where I'm looking at the guy as a full-time starter, a point scorer, field position changer as being a more ideal landing spot. Outstanding. Well, Dan, going to let you go now, but, uh, obviously we, uh, we appreciate the time as always. And, uh, We'll definitely check in with you a little later this summer. We're going to have some camp battles. We'll get you back in soon. Sounds great. Outstanding. That's all we have for the day. Coming back tomorrow, we're going to be joined. Who do we have coming up tomorrow, Mark? Oh, we've got Jay Feely coming up tomorrow. Oh, How about that? Make sure you check in tomorrow. We're going to be talking kickers all day with Jay Feely, former kicker for a number of teams in the NFL on the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast. <laughs>